to the Healthy Dog Pod. Today in the studio, we've got myself and Sophie, as always. Hello. And we are joined by Scott Frangipani from The Little Paws Back, a dog socialising company here in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Welcome, mate. Ian, Sophie, thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. We've known each other a bloody long time now and talked a lot of dog and normally over something a little bit stronger than the coffee. Yeah. But we've got, so we've got plenty to chat about today. Um, <laughs> So give us a run through of all the dog dog walking topics, dog socializing topics we're going to be looking through. And don't forget to mention your book and uh, everything around well, that we'll, as well. We'll be letting everybody know how they can get themselves a copy of Friends for All Season because we'll be giving some away, but we'll get to that later in the podcast. Now, today we've got a few things to cover. We're going to be looking at dog walkers, how to find a good dog walker, how you can help your dog walker if you already have one. Then, of course, rules, regulations, transporting dogs, and, of course, a bit of dog park etiquette as well. Yeah, fantastic. Nice. I mean, these are, as a dog owner, it's something that very real, very real uh, and prominent thing in owning a dog is having a dog walker. And so it's really important to know what, you have, what you're getting yourself into with the person that you employ to do so. Yeah. To take exactly. your little family member out. So first up, mate. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into it. Like most people, I had dogs growing up. Uh, our first dog was a West Highlander White Terrier. That's, that is a real introduction to the dog world right there. It's a real dog. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. This cute little kid, Katie, wow, she was naughty. And, of course, had a lot of health concerns and skin concerns, as Westies do, mm. and um, loved to roll in anything that she could find that was dead uh, <laughs> or just smell really special. Uh, but typically we had a, a Shih Tzu named Coco because that's what you name Shih Tzus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had a couple of boxes as well. But oh, cool. growing up, uh, we had a family boarding kennel for dogs out in, uh, in New Zealand, out in the country, and... Uh, it was working at the kennels that you really got a good feel for the different breeds. Now, a lot of dogs are true to their breed. Um, all dogs are individual, of course. But, yep, pugs, they like to hump. Um, Labradors, especially when they're younger, enjoy eating poo. Uh, these things are just... Breed traits. <laughs> that, they become prominent. Yeah. And there's a stereotype for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. and with these breed traits, it's often with the beagles you'll be hearing the dog walker say, I'm just looking for one beagle. Because that if anyone's going to just quietly meander away from you, mm -hmm. the beagle's the one to do it. I used to have one. And that's exactly what happened. He'd just disappear. They don't run Follow off. Follow the nose. <laughs> they don't run away. They just quietly disappear. It's like a shadow. Yeah. <laughs> Drifting. <laughs> now, with, the, with working with the dogs out of the kennel, especially being so young, I was probably about seven. And I was there till probably about 12, 13 when my interests changed. Um, working with the dogs out there, it was a good way to understand, you know, keeping dogs calm is so important. Really important with the kennel that the drop-off times were set. So the dogs would go out in the morning from about 8 till 10, 10.30. That was the opportunity for people to drop dogs off or pick dogs up. Because the dogs, when they come back in, will be settled again. 
and then they're in their nice, calm state, and you can't have people rocking up, dropping off another dog, unsettling everybody. So during that sort of situation, the actual farm house was well away from the kennels, so if people had to drop a dog off, special occasions, they could drop it off at the house. But in the afternoons, the dogs come out it's again. in the best interest of the dog. Yeah. It, it keeps the... Uh, keeps the animals sane, you know, not losing their shit every time someone rocks up. But not only that, the, the people that run it, <laughs> they actually know when they're coming or going. It, it was a farm, but we did have neighbours. Yeah. And every now and then you'd have to go down there with a big stick and walk down the length of all the runs, you know, come on, get out of it, shush, <laughs> you know, and, and settle and settle them down again. <laughs> but no, I loved, loved growing up working with dogs, and it certainly did influence how I set up the little paws pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is where a little pause pack. It really has got a specialist kind of thing around it, where you really do focus on what you're good at. And um, well, I think it's best for you to describe, you know, how what it is that you focus on as the little pause pack. Well, it was really important when setting it up that at no point did I jeopardize the concept. Um, financially, it is quite difficult to change careers and start a dog walking, socializing business. So it's really important at that point to know that you're going to need to go into this with some savings and you're also going to need to have a job you can work nights. So I was hospitality. So it was really important that I took on the dogs that I wanted to take on and I didn't jeopardize the concept for the business for cash flow. So I was working five nights a week and working with two dogs a day. And that balance slowly changed. Then I'm working with six dogs a day and working four nights. And then those nights slowly came down till I completely transitioned over. With always the option of going back to hospitality and picking up a couple of nights if the business slowed down again. And with this business, they do. They have have, have ups and downs. Definitely. So if you went through something similar like that with the bowling, when when you first dipped your toe into it, you you had a second job. I was working in hospitality as well and it's great because you can work nights and still work during the day, exactly what you said. And then, yeah, you can slowly transition over. So, yeah, definitely if you're thinking of doing that. Yeah, if you're going into it. I mean, yeah. I, I, um, like you, I think you said earlier just off air before we were recording about how you're either going to have to go into it with, would you say, three years worth of savings? Pretty much. Or go in at nights or hospital or... Like, I mean, I, I had neither, but I was, I was just prepared to live on the breadline. Like I was cheap ass rent, you know, my partner at the time when I, when she met me and I set up the business, she nicknamed where I was living Christmas Island because there was that many people coming in and out. So it was just, a, I was just on my ass. Like, but that's what I needed to do to get things rolling. You, yep. you make massive sacrifices. It's not easy. It's yeah. not easy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so. So being able to set up the business exactly the way I wanted, and that concept was to only work with two groups. I started off with three groups. I had the micro machines as well, which were the, the Chihuahuas and Brussels Griffins. <laughs> I remember <laughs> those guys. Machines. Yeah, I remember, I remember a fair few of those dogs many years ago. Oh, uh, and, I, and they looked hilarious in the truck. They oh, really yeah. Do. I still have the Brussels Griffins. I've, yeah. I brought them back in again because they're such characters and they love being around people they feel safe around, but they stand off from a lot of dogs and a lot of people as well. It's hard to earn their trust. 
It really is. But the Chihuahuas, with their fair aggression, it was, yeah. They're not, I mean, Chihuahuas with their, the, I mean, we talk about breed traits. Chihuahuas inherently breed a lot, uh, bark a lot, breed a lot. Uh, they inherently bark a lot, which has, you know, it's has a negative effect on those around them. Mm -hmm. So putting them in a, a high highly stimulating environment such as a dog park or really really something busy they will bark and uh, the scent glands on their feet will get a workout on the way through <laughs> absolutely just, just they're always little moonwalks like. <laughs> any dogs coming they're kicking it up <laughs> that's what they do that's it and you've been really careful to pick breeds that one that you're really well educated on but two that are pro appropriate for your service you you've, you've yep. fitted your service around these breeds and what breeds are they? What are you working um, with? Probably best known for the French Bulldogs. Yeah. Uh, mainly because they travel on the back of the truck and you can see them hanging out of the back of the 4 by paw as I do my happy laps of Bondi. That now, was 4 by paw in case anyone missed that. <laughs> no, let's not brush over that. This no. is an absolute beast of a machine. I love it. And it is the 4 by paw. You've yeah. probably seen it around. You've yeah. definitely Bondi seen it. for sure. It. Yeah. Now, when I've been working with Frenchies for close to a decade. So for the oh, wow. Yeah, so for the first five years, people just called them pugs and I let them. You know? <laughs> hey, full of pugs. Oh, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, but obviously in the last sort of six years or so, um, they became trendy, popular, um, which for me has become difficult uh, to see the breed explode in such a way when I've worked with them so carefully we used to have them in the kennels and that's why i love them mm -hmm. but i also knew how carefully we had to watch them now the whole business was set up around catering for these two breeds so for the french bulldogs in australia french bulldogs you don't necessarily want them going out with a dog walker in the traditional style you can't just say they're going to get picked up they're going to be sitting in a van and dog walkers are very much often about a time period of like, I want my dogs in the park for an hour. Mm. Where my business is not about time, it's about how, how we make the most of that time. And with French Bulldogs, if 20 minutes in the park on a hot day is enough, that's enough. Yeah, so push it. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, get, like, for me is, it's not, I don't think even dog walkers have even considered it, if I'm honest, but the term dog walking, the dog walker, um, has gives everybody a preconceived idea of what to expect you are going your dog is going to be moving for that hour and that is what we do whereas i very deliberately because it is correct i said dog socializing company and when that dog is taken out of the house um uh, whether it be by you or the professional it's therefore a positive experience emphasis on the physical exercise shouldn't isn't as important as the positive experience so dragging that dog around a park if it's not happy is absolutely bloody pointless and having a negative effect on the dog whereas like you said your whole thing is about setting that dog up for a positive experience if 20 minutes in they need to be removed and put in and put somewhere to have some water and some shade and you know you're taking care of the individual dog's need yeah. Yeah. If, if it's 20 minutes, if it's 22 minutes, if it's 45 minutes, whatever, but you listen to that dog. Yeah. Oh, I don't I don't listen to the comments around me because I'd hear all the time, you're off already. Oh, you don't stay long. Yeah. And those, those sorts of comments. And in that situation, you've just got to do what you do the way you feel is right. Like we're yeah. all running different businesses. The agreement I have with my clients 
is that exactly. And my clients do not want their dogs in the park for more than 20 minutes on a hot day. No. no. Um, you've got to keep in mind that 90% of my clients are at home and love walking their dogs and spending time. The issue is generally they're spending too much time with their dogs. Yeah. Now, my dogs only come out with me once or twice a week because that is what benefits them. I don't want to dilute the experience. The point is with the French Bulldogs, like they, they always want to come. They're just party people. And once they know that all their friends are in the truck waiting for them and they've got their own games, they've got their own rules, and they are just like this rolling mall going through the park. They don't even look at the other dogs in the park. They're in their little huddle doing their thing their own way. Um, so it's very important just to give them the space to do that. And obviously the older dogs teach the younger dogs personal space, but it's all about picking them up in a nice, calm way. They know that the truck is another place that's incredibly calm. You know, So once we get to the park, they all disperse and sniff and go to the toilet. And we can be in there for probably 10, 15 minutes before a game starts up. And then they play for a while and do their thing. But for me, with the Frenchies, excuse me, <coughs> well, exactly that. It's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the first Agreed. indicator that they're getting hot. Yeah. And what you said, like we the live Frenchies, in Australia. Yeah, the Frenchies have got a lot of health concerns. Um, it's important for me to, as working with the breed for so long, being able to help my clients guide through this. Yeah. Because there's a lot that goes on with them. But the palate's obviously a big one. Yeah. Sure. yeah, I mean, I don't think many people really know how to call a dog down when it is hot. I mean, it's uh, it's not like us where we dip our head under the water and get cold. All of their organs are there in that chest area. And, you know, they're, if you pour in water over their back, it doesn't do no. much. <laughs> but those cool mats are great. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. uh, all my clients have them at home for the Frenchies. You know, they're on the ground, they shoot in the door, take the harness off, and they just lie on their cool mat. It's great. I wanted to just take you back a second to what you just said. It's really, you said it because it's common sense to you. It's common sense to me and so Calm, calm experience, making sure that, well, we call it, you know, we, we say that they're in their thinking brain. From a, from a training perspective, they're in a social frame of mind where they can actually have healthy interactions with others. And what you just described was dogs that when they're traveling in the van, are nice and calm and settled because that's appropriate. Then when they get to the park, they're not so G'd up that they just, it's like they just steam in and take over the entire world and go a little bit crazy and bowling. They turn up and they behave like normal calm dogs where they sniff. They do natural calm behavior, sniff, pee, poo. They get comfortable in their environment and then they interact. Yep. They read the room. <laughs> you know? um, I've always used my older dogs very carefully to explain to the younger ones that party time is coming. We're going to play in a minute. But right now, I've just got out of the car. Just give me some personal space. Yeah. And the, the younger dogs read this. Yeah. Now, it's more important with the other group of dogs I do, the oodles, as we call them, which is the small poodle crosses. Uh, I only have about three cavoodles. Cavoodles I found very difficult to work with because of the, the CAV side of things. I work more with the um, Moodles, the Maltese Poodles. i got mini Schnauzers in with this crew. I put the Brussels Griffins in with them now as well. These dogs, are obviously the parents are at home, a lot of family interaction, but they can be 
have a lot of separation anxiety. They can be very nervous. They can just be the little poodle crosses. So for me, it's very important that one, they want to come. They have to understand what I'm offering. And when I come to the door, they've got to run to me and say, yes, you're here. I want to come with you. There can be no pressure to try and make them do something they don't want to do. Otherwise, you know, we can't judge a dog for behaving in a way we don't like in a position it didn't ask to be in. Yeah. Oh, we've said that many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of these uh, houses, mainly with the oodles, there's two dogs. One dog does want to come, one dog doesn't. So we take the dog that wants to come and the other dog's been out, knows what's on offer and has made the choice, I'm not into it. So financially, it'd be very easy for me just to put the other dog on a lead and make twice the money. But that's not what the business is about. The business is creating a calm, safe environment where the dogs that are there want to be there and enjoy it. And if they don't, well, then we leave them at home. And that's sometimes harder for the the clients to understand because they want their dog to have friends. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They do want their dogs to go out, be social and uh, go and interact. But um, if the dog is communicating in a timid way or in a reactive way in in this scenario, it is communicating loud and clear. It's not for me, guys. And you can want, the, the like you say, the walker the, can turn up and take them out, but you're meant to be there to for the dog. And the owner might be pushing you to do that. But you're, as a professional, meant to be there for the dog. And that's when it becomes a bit of a welfare issue for me. You're not in it anymore for dogs. You're in it for money. And Definitely. That, that's, that shits me. I um, had a, a new dog. I had a lady call up. I'm really hard on the phone with people. People say it's easier to get your kids in a private school than your dog and with me. Um, <laughs> and, and when people call up and say, oh, you're a dog walker, I pretty much just say no. <laughs> I know this is not going to be right. Lady called up the other day, great, uh, off-street parking, live next to the park, eight-year-old Cavoodle. This kid's name was Speedo. Um, It was all too good to be true. Um, I take dogs out three times for two weeks, three times a week for two weeks, to give them the opportunity to see what's on offer, give me a feel for the dog, and at the end of the two weeks, make the decision, is this right for everybody? And that includes the client. Do I like the client? You know, or are they being difficult? If they're being difficult, then, you know, don't talk to me like you talk to the guy who cleans your pool. I'm not that guy. Yeah. Um, Looking after your family member. Yeah. Speedo, the first day was apprehensive. Second day came, got in the car, loved being in the car, but I could tell I wasn't 100% in it. Got around to the second week, Speedo came, looked at me, and then went back inside. I followed him through into the lounge room. He went under the table. I'm like, mate. I could see him show a little bit of teeth. I'm like, I get it, buddy. All right, I'm leaving you now. I went back two days later. Same thing. He didn't even come downstairs. I said, I've looked for Speedo. Are you sure he's home? He's home. I said, there is our answer. Yeah. We would love Speedo to come. It just just ticked all the boxes. But Speedo wasn't into it. And in that situation, I actually had to say to her, please, I mean, there is a right dog walker for every person. But in this situation, Speedo doesn't want any dog walker. It's not me. I've got three cavoodles in the car who he looks great sitting next to. But he's not. He wants to stay home. Respect that. And uh, I think that's the, the call more people should be able to make. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. Yeah. It's um, something that, you know, we, we offer walking trains. And when we do, it's because nine times out of ten, it's a dog like Speedo. 
you know, and if I, I'll tell my team member, if it takes you 45 minutes to turn up to the house and win it over, if it takes you the hour, then that's what you do until, and you don't get the lead on, you don't get the harness on it until you've won it over. Because I'm there as a company, like we're there as a company to build that dog's confidence in interaction. That's what we've been asked to do, not to walk it. We're not a dog walking company. So for some for somebody to turn up to the door, build confidence. And that means, if that means sitting still for the hour and wait with uh, something that the dog uh, finds valuable to motivate it to come towards us. That's what we do. But um, very different to dog walking. And they see how easy it is to go wrong. And, you know, you take physical control of the animal. You walk in, you, okay, ground, don't really. Just ignore all the signs, ignore the avoidance, ignore the teeth growling. There you go, you're on the harness. I'll take your money. Thanks, see you later. Yeah, yep. that's when fights happen. Yeah, yeah, because that dog is in that frame of mind outside the house. Yeah. And he can tell me, oh, he loves it when he's out there. Does he fuck? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, we're going to not go into that too much more. Um, just, just, just to recap, the Little Paws Pack is a socializing business. It's niche. It's not for everybody. Mm. I have a very small pickup area. You know, i got the two groups of dogs that I work with, and that's because... They contribute. They enjoy it. And as I say, it's only once or twice a week. Now, saying that it's only once a week means that in the situation if I go on holiday for three weeks, I don't have to find someone to take my dogs out. I just say, I'm away for three weeks. That's it. But from a business point of view, it also means if I lose three or four clients in one week, which happens, you know, a young couple break up, Another people move, someone else loses their job. If a dog walker takes the same dog five days a week and they lose three dogs in a week, it's a huge financial hit on them and it takes a long time to build that up again. But by working with, you might say, five times as many people on a lower number, for the business side of things too, it's just a lot financially safer. Yeah. As dog walkers, I mean, I I do wish that um, they were stuck to what they were good at and what they know you know if you are a high energy dog walker don't take out the shy little dog you know um stick to what you know and and really just concentrate on that because there is a dog like you said a minute ago there's a dog walker for everyone there's certain dogs for everyone um i personally think that the dog walkers that actually create calm associations are much 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 happier uh healthier for the dog i mean i think there's a always see consequences from dog walkers taking dogs out you know hyper arousal at the front door hyper arousal in the park there is not really many consequences from any from a dog walker that takes it out and calms it down um i don't get the call because the dog dog walkers fuck that up yeah it, they and it's good it's got to be more quality not quantity yes As the 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 time spent in the park has to be beneficial. No point being there for an hour, but it's an hour of negative attributes. Yeah, chaos. You can't say, okay, my alarm's gone off on my phone now. It's, I've been here exactly for an hour. I'm here for an hour every day. I'm a great dog walker. That's not what it's about. It's about, I've been here for 15 minutes. The dynamic in the park has changed. That's going to have a negative effect on my dogs. So we're getting back in the car and we're leaving. And we're going to go to a different park now for another five minutes and then we'll do a lap of Bondi and I like to park down at the beach, yeah. reverse the truck up. And everyone loves to come and say hello to the dogs. And, you know, 
it makes them feel good. It's great socializing for the dogs as well because when they're not with their owners, their guard's down a lot more and they allow themselves to be patted and a lot more relaxed. And uh, got the safety of the truck, the safety of the big truck, yeah. Small dogs, huge truck, (laughs) (laughs) but that's it. You will often see, you know, on a hot day, you will often see your truck parked up with the water bowls and basically just allowing the dogs to have a really positive experience. I love that. Like, just here it is, like, make the most of the environment that you've got, which is Bondi, yeah, and allow these dogs to have positive experiences and like watching their body language and everything else. I think uh, visibility is important too, because, I mean, I wear a bright yellow T-shirt. This isn't just so I don't get run over while I'm trying to pick dogs up on my rounds. This is an indicator to everybody else in the park that little pause pack right here with four small dogs. If you're not doing the right thing and you've got over your number of dogs or I have already had a chat to you about the way you operate, stay away from me. Because the law is you are allowed to be in effective control of four dogs maximum yep. for, as an individual. That's right. And I don't, you know, shit's me again. Dog walkers taking too many dogs out. I was talking to Scott before about someone that takes 10. I said, take 10 dogs out. Shit. Walking around the street. And I'm just like, how has no one said anything to it yet? It's money hungry, isn't it? It gets me. Um, kills me. Yeah. Absolutely kills me. And they're not enjoying it either. It's an activity of the, of, the, of the council ranges, generally. Um, different councils do it different ways. Some in, embrace the confrontation. Some mm. don't. And I know the council, I work very closely with the council we're with, um, but I have to put a whole package together for them. And it's no secret, like, when I'm in the dog park, the park I walk in, I certainly won't mention because we've finally got the balance right there at the moment. Yeah. We had to remove two dog walkers to do it, but now everybody's, the residents are relaxed again, everyone's shoulders are sitting lower, you can walk through the park not scared that these individuals were going to show up well over their numbers in a confrontational manner and just be toxic. Um, now that they've gone, the, the dynamics really changed, but it was tough. Because I am so visible, if there is an incident in the park, it's obvious that I'm there. And I'd have to go down to the ranges and sign an affidavit. This attack happened and that happened. And I'd be constantly getting sent photos on my Instagram account and from just residents in the park saying, who is this person? Why do they have so many dogs? I'm thinking, why are you sending it to me? Send it to the rangers. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You'll, that, you know, that's the catch-22 with uh, what you said a minute ago about the visibility. Yep. Yeah. You, you are, you've always, rightfully, in my opinion, um, quite happy to just speak to the rangers if it is being done in, in an incorrect manner um but you're also not batman and the, you know <laughs> the, the, are you batman hang on I, are you batman <laughs> i have such an enjoyable job yeah when the the confrontation and, right. the, and the politics is removed from it it's just yeah. a lovely walk in the park but unfortunately sometimes it does have to come to a head to get that balance back yeah. And remember, these parks we're walking in, um, now when they have the signs at the entrance to the park that say no commercial activity, it's a grey area. It doesn't actually apply to dog walkers. What they're trying to say there with the no commercial activity is don't come in here with an archery equipment and start charging people to shoot arrows or set up a stall. Um, personal trainers have been asked 
to you know get permits in other areas. That's not going to be happening where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but in regards to commercial activity, we are running a business, and for that reason, we need to you know give away to the residents, keep the residents on side, you know, because we can lose these dog parks if we enjoy an off-lead area. Then the more attention we bring to it in a negative way, the quicker the council are going to be too hard make it an on-lead area. Well, that brings us me on to another thing. I mean, you know, the designated off-lead areas um, everywhere is legally an on-lead area until it is specified as yep. an off-leash area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we see heaps with people just walking their dog off-lead where, where they don't, it's just been not designated. So that means you are not legally allowed to walk your dog off-lead there. It causes heaps of problems. I mean, the people that take their dog to an on-leash area, so somewhere that a, an open space, a park, or even on the footpath, for fuck's sake, like you're meant to keep your dog on lead. As soon as you are confronted with a dog off lead there, you are compromised. Because nine times out of ten, people that are in those areas with their dogs on lead are there because for a reason. Their dogs can't go to off-leash areas. Yeah. But um, even in the off-leash areas, you know, if you let your dog off lead, you need effective control. Yep. And that means either keep it on leash if you can't communicate with your dog verbally or have that relationship where you can maintain effective control with a verbal relationship with your dog. Recall. Yep. That was like the other day when we went to, um, we had group class and Jen was down there with a the dog and they had another dog off lead running around and she's like, no one come into the park yet because it's an on lead park because this lady can't get her dog back. Mm. And it was running over to her dog, which is fine with other dogs, but... Fortunately, like the one yeah. out of the seven dogs. We, so, we've got, we're running a uh, socializing class yep. with uh, dogs that at some point in their life have been reactive. And now we've got trained them uh, and worked with them to the point where they, uh, their tolerance of dogs is much, much greater. We keep everything nice and calm and gentle and on leash. Um, we bring them together and... They're learning how to communicate calmly with other dogs. The one dog in that class that was tolerant of dogs in its personal space um, is the one it approached. And we were like, thank God. Yeah. Because that could have gone very wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted, we do not want that little dog to be attacked. But we also were in an on-leash area. Doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And we did not, yeah, who, who... I don't see how we could have been at fault there. I mean, if our dog had lunged and, you know, done something bad, then, uh, yeah, it's it's really tough. But Well, it's important to understand, especially if you're a professional and you're walking dogs, the moment you go over your numbers, you go to five, or you take your off-lead dogs into an on-lead area, your public liability insurance is gone. It's like driving drunk. The moment you break the rules, you know, you're not insured anymore. You know, and you also lose the opportunity to have an opinion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're breaking the rules, you don't get to have an opinion. You know, if there's a young family who are choosing to have a picnic in the middle of a dog park, which happens a lot, generally by people who don't like dogs, um, who decide the two-year-old needs to have its yogurt now, um, <laughs> you know, it's up, it's up to us with reasonable control. They have every right to be there. But if you have four dogs, you can put your dogs on lead very calmly and walk past them and say, oh, just so you know, uh, this is an off-lead dog area. 
We've made them part of society and we haven't given them much room. So just yep. letting you know. You're also sat in dog piss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sand castle your kid's building isn't sand. <laughs> um, but the, 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 but the, the law is, and this is what we've got to be respectful of, the law is that we must maintain effective control. Because yes. the moment that they do sit down, they do play in their poo pit, um, then um, our dog approaches and we can't call it back. That's our problem. Yeah. Not yeah. theirs. And that that's something that we've just got to be mindful of. No, it's not ideal. No, it's not. I, Life I under- happens though. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, exactly. you just got to roll with those punches. Yeah. Well, let's look at when you're walking in a, in a public dog park and you're coming across dog walkers, there's a few things you can do to help the dog walkers out. If they're doing the right thing and, you know, they've got a few dogs they're controlling, um, one thing is balls and resources, right? I know it's come up before. There's, there's no positives to these, unfortunately. Um, but if you're going to take resources to a dog park, a squeaky toy, a frisbee or a ball, when you're approaching a dog walker or, for that matter, anybody who looks at you and says, hey, hold on a minute, just let me go past. They're not having a crack at you. You have every right to throw a ball in that dog park. But in saying that, They've got other dogs with them that might be a little bit ball-obsessed that are just getting over it. So allow them to get through before you start throwing the ball. If you throw a ball into a pack of dogs, you know, it's just a red flag. And, you know, whoever else is walking those dogs is just trying to get through without any confrontation or problems. So allow them right away. Hold on to your ball. And once they're passed, then go back to throwing the ball. Well, always guess me. I had one, I can't remember who it was, a client last week. Um, and he, his dog is ball obsessed. So he's in the dog park and he's just walking around and he sees this guy picking up the ball and throwing it. And then he looks down and his dog's gone. And now he's after it. And he's going, all right, mate, come on. And he's trying to get his dog back. And every single time that dog was just about in range, the guy launched the ball again <laughs> and he he ended up cracking it and just going, mate, will you fucking stop throwing that ball? Like, come on, you can see that I am trying. Now you're telling my dog off, like, you're the fuel to this fire. Yeah. This could be put out if you just actually had some common sense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that, that bright yellow T-shirt I wear, this is another time it comes in handy because I only have to have that conversation once, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And they see me coming and they hold the ball. I try and be as polite as possible. Hey, how are you this morning? Just hold that ball. Just hold it just for a second longer. And you I can think, do it. You can yeah. hold it, man. You can do it. I, I know your border collie can't wait, but please. Um, oh, and the other thing, obviously, is when rewarding your dog in large groups, you know, if your dog has done a great job of walking through a large group of dogs, just get a bit further before you give them that, that treat or reward. Because once that large group of dogs know that you are a walking lunchbox full of treats, it makes it much harder for the person who's controlling those dogs to get them to continue following them, you know? And then you're going to look around and say, come on, sort your dogs out. It's like, well... Timing. Yes. Timing is everything, hey? Yeah. Yeah, and um, gonna, we're going to actually talk about this. We've talked about this uh, in a previous episode when we were talking about dog play. Um, and if we'd like your opinions, actually, at this point, I'm just going to let everybody know, can you give us your opinions? If you want us to go into this in more detail, we will, because it is a topic that we care about. But... Taking a ball into a dog park, taking a resource into a dog park like a ball or a squeaky toy or a frisbee. If your dog needs that to be there, 
then it is not then it needs help to be there and it isn't present his brain is in such a gear that it is just focused 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 it's surrounded by dogs and not interacting with dogs dog parks are social environments and make sure that your dog is in a social frame of mind being obsessed with a ball is not uh, a social frame of mind and this applies to the general public taking their dog into a dog park and launching that ball repeatedly and creating compulsion obsession isn't socializing but the dog walker as well the dog walker that just takes the dog with the ball chucker and you know it's got even if they're playing by the rules they've got four dogs they've got three that are interacting socially and they're just like the fourth one you go over there mate you go over there mate just that dog shouldn't be out with that dog walker that dog should be in a absolutely different scenario and not just trying to run the back legs off it because that physical exercise which is probably what they're thinking is going to solve this is a band-aid on a broken arm for that dog they need a better education on dog behavior in my opinion um like i say we've talked a little bit about that in the past and i'm not going to go into it too much today but that that is something that i see while we're on the topic of dog walkers I see too many of them do it that dog walker the ball chucker just launching it and distracting the dog from being there on that note, you know, now that I've just rap, had a good old rant uh, <laughs> about dog walkers uh, dog, that uh, just launch balls around. Sorry about that. Um, let's, uh, let's go into things that we could ask dog walkers as a, as a client, as somebody that is looking to bring a dog walker into their life to take their dog out. What are the p- uh, potential questions? Now, these are questions you could also ask yourself about a, a dog walker that you currently have as well, mm. you know. Um, a lot of people who are thinking about getting a dog often equate this in and think, okay, we're two young professionals, we really want a dog, we're going to need a dog walker or doggy daycare or something along these lines. So definitely when you're thinking about getting a dog walker, uh, questions you could ask. Firstly, you know, where do they walk the dogs? Once you find out, because they generally will use the same park again and again, and be aware of that area, you know. Is it, uh, is it a busy area? Are there lakes or ponds? Uh, you know, you Fences. Can, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, is it secure? Is it by a busy road? You know, yeah. you can look at that park and you can calculate the risks on that yourself. Um, another good one is what breeds do they take? You know, do they take all breeds? You know, are they just a standard dog walker or are they more niche like myself and just work too specific? Because there is the right dog walker for every person, you know. What age? Of the other dogs also you know, if you've got a young puppy and they've i mean typically it'd be the other way around but you know if you've got an old dog and they've got a bunch of young puppies take uh take take it make sure that your dog is going out with dogs that marry up well with the way your dog interacts with others he doesn't yeah. want to be surrounded by a tornado don't surround it by a tornado it's um it's not, yeah it's simple stuff but it's something you should really be considering yeah I think another one you mentioned uh, earlier was um, uh, lo- the location of where, you know, their route, how far. The- yeah. So my pickup zone is Bondi Beach to Watson's Bay. It's absolutely tiny. But that's because I don't want to spend too much time in the car. You know, I like to be able to just pick them up, not get involved in school traffic. But as I'm very niche, I'm in a position where I can do that. Um, but obviously, if someone's got a much larger pickup route, um, then there's going to be a lot more time spent in the car and they're going to go to a lot more different parks. It's going to keep changing. So knowing their pickup area can give you a few clues as well. And on that, what do they drive? You know, yeah. are they in a van? Um, 
Now, regarding harnessing dogs. Now, this is a this is a big topic. This is in the car. This is in the car. This is in the car. Obviously, a lot of dogs pull on harness, so you might want a front leader, or this might just be for the car. Now, for me, calculating and minimizing risk is a big one, and it should be all dog walkers' duty of care to think of as many ways possible where they can limit the risks of taking dogs out, because anything that can happen to you can happen to them. But it's their job as professionals to be that little bit better. Um, now, with harnesses, this is something I ask all my clients to buy right at the beginning. We do the two-week trial. I use my own Easy Dog chest plate harnesses for that two-week period. And then after that, it's up to them to buy the harness. Now, the Easy Dog chest plate harness doesn't pull over the dog's head. You simply slip one arm in and it clips around the neck, around the back, and it distributes the weight to the chest, which simply means, worst case scenario, in a car accident, the weight is going to go on the chest. And for me, that's, that's the most important thing. But also in doing this, it means I can attach an ID tag with my details to that harness. So when I come and pick the dog up, it's going to have a collar on and it's going to have the owner's details on the collar. But that's no use if the dog, in worst case scenario, should run off while it's with me. If the owner's in a meeting or uncontactable, I need whoever grabs that dog or finds that dog to contact me. Because yeah. I'm, it's in my care. Um, so by having a harness with an ID tag, mine's a little pause pack, and my phone number, once again, we're calculating and minimizing the risks of things that can go wrong. Um, now, the reason that I use these particular harnesses is because they're the only ones I found that distribute the weight the best. You've got to keep in mind that the, the laws and the rules that are in place at the moment, you know, and they do keep changing, the main one is uh, prevention of cruelty. Now, prevention of cruelty, this was brought in to stop dogs from traveling in the back of utes untethered. And when they say that, they mean not tethered by the neck. They needed to be tethered by a harness. So if they jump out of the back, they're not going to strangle themselves. Um, this doesn't apply to farms or farm dogs. They're exempt. Is that um, because, it, it's just, I didn't, don't know the answer. It's because they're on private land? Well, it's on private land, but if a dog's working. Right. So it actually has it stipulated in there. Any dogs that are herding... Or, or working, it's stipulated mm -hmm. in, the, in the actual law itself um, that, that they are exempt. Now, that law, it was updated to inside the car as well, prevention of cruelty, because just as simply as a dog jumping off the back, um, if you're in a car accident and a dog's not harnessed correctly, and it can injure itself. Now, where the law got updated in 2014 was to stop the dog interfering with the driver. This is the most one. Most people know about this now, that if you don't have a dog harnessed, that, you know, you'll lose demerit points and you'll get a fine. Now, the reason this was brought in was not to protect the dog. The dog is only protected under that original 1979 Act of Prevention of Cruelty. This was brought in to stop the dog from becoming a projectile or travelling on the driver's lap or distracting the driver. This law was not brought in to protect the dog. So if you harness the dog incorrectly... You can do more harm than good. Hmm. So just think about that one. When you're looking at a way to harness your dog, don't attach it to the collar. And if a harness looks cute on a shelf, looks like a piece of clothing and it's got a Burberry pattern and it pulls over the dog's head, then it's not going to protect the dog. Yeah. We don't think, geez, how cute's my seatbelt? That's not how we think. So obviously, if you look at my Instagram, the little pause pack, you'll see all the dogs are wearing the Easy Dog chest plate harness. 
simply because for the last 10 years, it, uh, I was in a head-on collision, not while working, but I had my dog Jet in the car. And if Jet wasn't harnessed at the time, she wouldn't be here. It's that simple. Yeah. It only mm. has to happen once. Yeah. And on that, systems. Dog walkers need systems in place. Routine they follow every time without fail. Otherwise, things happen. Because it's always the one time that you don't do it is the one time it'll happen. And this isn't just harnessing ID tags. I have a, a system I've set up on my phone so I know every dog that I've picked up and every dog that I've dropped off. And I don't want to go into this any further than you need to know that every dog is out of your car when you park at the end of the day. <laughs> it's <coughs> reality. The, there have been instances where that has not been the case. And it is the worst case scenario and the worst case scenario did has happened in the past. The One of the other reasons why I feel that it's important is, uh, especially with a multi-dog, like in a van, is while this vehicle is moving, it is an unstable floor, essentially. You've got dogs tired after exercise, hyper, because they're just about to go and see their mates and get, about to get to the park. They're not in the most... They're not in the best frame of mind. And I like to see them harnessed for this reason as well because I don't want the dogs falling into and being rocked into other dogs. This is how dog fights in the back of vans happen and you're driving and you are not able to just pull over and take effective control safe and make it safe. Yep. It's not appropriate for you to even have to consider that while driving. You're driving. Um. Now, now, just quickly, this is the grey area because people who have a van with a cage, they, you'll see them, they've got the, the vans with those little Renault ones with the hatchback area where the dogs are in a separate compartment. Because the dogs are in a separate compartment, these people are exempt from... Well, they're technically abiding by the law. They are they, restrained to the point where they can't interfere with the they driver. They can't interfere mm. with the driver. But what they're not doing is the prevention of cruelty. Yeah. So if that car is in an accident then those dogs still aren't safe. That's a, that's a simple fact of yeah. it, really. Yeah. One of the uh, side topic again, or it's not nice, it's all relatable, but there are, we've got many dogs um, over the years that I've worked with that they dare not get into, or they're hesitant to get into the dog walker's van. They open the van door and there's four of the dogs waiting for them, like as soon as the door opens. That's intimidating. And it's a lot for the dog to get on. And in the dog walker's mind, they're going, oh, I was just seeing his friends. Until they're not, until they actually start getting scrappy. And we've got a, we've got a dog called Daisy. She's a 60, 70 that. kilo St. Bernard. And she started smashing other dogs and getting very tense around dogs in her personal space because of the back of vans. And um, what I tried to explain to... if I've, I've, I've actually been out and been I've trained a few dog walkers on how to do this. The first dog you put in goes towards the back away from your entrance and you gradually get them closer but when that dog jumps in it wants to be given as much space as possible and it goes in and it gets tethered and it will say hello to its mate in the park it gets to say hello to the other dogs through eye contact and body language instead of going hi you're tethered bang how many personal space and you can't get away from me that's pretty fucking intense so it's about creating going back to that calm and calm experience at the start setting everything up for a calm win that whole mentality, I've said it a couple of times, but that whole mentality where the dog walker just thinks it's going to be fun, you are not calculating risk. You are not tr creating calm social experiences for the dog. It's 
you've got to be better than just fun. If you've had a dog walker for 10 years, they're part of the family, you love them, and they've always done it one way, it's very hard for them to change. Mm -hmm. But that's where you can help them. You know, what ways can you help your dog walker on your behalf? So go to Pet Barn, buy the Easy Dog chest plate harness, get an ID tag made at the same time, and put your dog walker's details on it. And then harness the dog before the dog walker arrives. Say, oh, hey, I've got a new harness. Would you mind tethering the dog inside the car? Make it easy for them. You know, yes, it would be great if all dog walkers chose to proactively improve their systems over the years as things change. But, you know, you can do that for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, there are a few other things you can do for dog walkers as well. (laughs) I know your biggest one. You're about to say it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm very lucky. I absolutely love, i got great clients. I really do. But some very simple things. If you have a dog walker, probably the first one is parking. If you're thinking of getting a dog walker, and you don't have off-street parking, and you live on a busy road, there's a very good possibility you can't have a dog walker because a dog walker has to park. First, thing I, I, first question I ask when someone rings up and saying, hey, I'd love my dog to join your crew. It's like Google Maps, where do you live? <laughs> Straight away. And just look at it and go, no, <laughs> no. But a, apart from that, for your dog walker, great thing to do, is show them where the t- old towels are in your house or leave one by the door every day because it rains. That's just life. Uh, another thing, you can get sunscreen wipes for dogs. You know, if you make it easy for them, they'll use it. So I've got a lot of Frenchies, a lot of white ones. And out in the sun, these guys get cancer and they burn like anybody else. So if there's a, a baby wipe style sunscreen wipe, I can pull out and put on the dog's face and any of those sort of obvious areas before we go out that's you know that's a duty of care which is great um yeah the extras i mean that you know little things as well you know such as just if you have that harness if you have a leash that you use and the dog walk you're okay with the dog walker using make just make it available you know if you don't have the parking um you know, I've, I've, I've seen in the past, they've set up, so they've got the spare garage clicker, go and park in the visitor's parking. Just take, if you uh, really need that, this service, make it achievable yep. and make it easy. I mean, you don't, the dog walker doesn't, it's not just about the dog walker either. The dog walker parking up and that, like those dogs, when on that pickup, those dogs are going, the other dogs are going to be left in the vehicle. Yep. And so you're not just compromising the dog walker you're compromising other people's dogs Dogs, and that's yeah it's it's just a bit of a responsibility there like you should give your dog walker a key or a code to your house i mean you give your cleaner a key and uh sorry but getting the cleaner to let the dog walker in on the cleaner's day is not an option they're on the fourth floor vacuuming a spare room you know and you're down there buzzing that will never work you know because it goes back to this dogs are back in the car. Yeah. You know, he sat this, ringing the bloody doorbell. Oh, yep. Just walk away. Sorry, Wendy, I couldn't walk yep. your dog. Yeah. Your cleaner don't was have up. time for this. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't, I don't climb fences. I don't, <laughs> I don't, no. Anymore, mate. <laughs> anymore. You're not running from anyone anymore. I, I know the pool guy is happy to climb over the fence. I'm not that guy. No. Yeah, no, especially with your knee now. What are you going to do? Like, do throw that. the dog over there. I've got the dog. We're going, we're going back the way we came, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, yeah. Yeah, that's it. You know, 
we we do say like are they going to be you're either going to be home or we're going to have access or there's a side gate but you talk us through it and we'll come and meet you beforehand so that we can see how to access the house i think that's a massive point too some dog walkers don't meet their clients before they take dogs out and i've actually had people contact me and i've come over and met the dog and they said oh our last dog walker didn't come and meet the dogs they just took them out didn't even know their names i was like what i send a form through you have to fill out this form you have to you know go through exactly that the keys the code the leashes everything my consultations take about an hour at least yeah while i'm while i'm if i think it's going to work out yeah um but obviously back to finding the right dog walker you know go for a walk with them this is a Mm. big one Mm -hmm. you know I invite all my clients anytime to join me in the park. See how that dog walker relates to the dogs, how many dogs they've got. You get to see what they're driving. You know, you get to see where they are. And that is so important because it's like any business, really. You just you can't just believe people are going to do what they say they're going to do. Mm. You want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, branding. If people wear their brand proudly and have their car branded, they're holding themselves accountable. They're out there saying, judge me. I am, so help me dog. I'm walking through the park. Yeah. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. Judge me on how I'm, how I'm operating. If your dog walker chooses to not do any of that stuff, you know, maybe they are just trying to stay below the radar. Mm-hmm. But I, as I said today, I don't want to be calling bad dog walkers out. I think it's more important to find how can we improve? Yeah. How can we move forward? How can more dog walkers, you know, maybe pick their game up a bit? Something else I also... Um... Uh, ask, make sure we ask, and I think it's really important. The dog walkers ask is, "Who is your local vet, and does your dog mm. have any allergies?" Yeah, we've got a dog completely allergic to grass. Now, that is absolutely mental. Like, and it's such a special needs case. But now that we know, we don't put it on grass. We walk it in concrete or you know playgrounds and things like that, where the the surface. Like a basketball court, for example, we train it on there rather than on grass. It's not, it's just knowing about that. But we took that dog out for uh, a year and a half. And we do have in our questionnaire, does your dog have any allergies? Mm. And this dog was just so itchy all the bloody time. And we're like, what the hell's going, going on? on? And his ears were swelling up and he's constantly rolling around. And we found out, and in fairness to the client as well, the client then found out. A year and a half later, oh yeah, she's allergic to to grass. Every single one. <laughs> That's like little Django. You yeah. can't have chicken. Yeah. So I, when I take Django out, I have to make sure I have kangaroo or different types of treats for him because he gets pretty shitty when I don't give him a treat. Yeah, like, <laughs> I give it to the others, and he's like, got his mouth open, <laughs> ready. I'm like, here's your kangaroo. <laughs> so yeah, it's important to ask those questions. Absolutely. You know, we really care about your dogs. Well, yeah. And, if the, you know, that it isn't that others don't care, but I think you hit it on the head, hit the nail on the head, that calculating risk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that attention to detail that we're not just taking the dog for a run in the park and a walk around the block. We, we you know... We want, we account for the fact that we are taking your family member out and we want to get it right. And that's the reality of what we do. We, we get, there is a whole thing around, you know, all oh, the fur babies and all that. The reality is that people love their pets. Yeah. And it's up to the, you to make sure that 
the people that you bring into your life to look after your pets when you're not present, like a nursery, like a day kid's nursery, you wouldn't send it to a shit one that abuses them. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's my client's understanding that what day their dog goes out isn't important. It's who their dog goes out with that is important. Not what time. It's like I'm away at work, so I want my dog to go out between 11 and 1. None of my clients get to pick their times or their days. I constantly move my dogs around. Because my dogs are coming once a week, they're not coming every day like a traditional dog walker does it, I can constantly swap and change. That puppy's grown up a bit now. It doesn't need to be learning from the older dog so much anymore. I can now put it in with some younger dogs. And that dynamic keeps changing. But for me, never put a timer on a dog walker. We work with dogs. We drive cars. If you tell me you need me to be there at a certain time, I can guarantee that's the time I won't be there. Yeah. Everything, every garbage truck and concrete mixer and Muppet will make sure that doesn't come to fruition. Yeah. So, you know? I need you to be there at 9.15. Good luck. Right. <laughs> yeah. There are, there are always special occasions. It's like, I forgot the dog's yeah. going to the vet today. Can you um, come a bit later or something? Yeah, we'll always make it work. Yeah. But if you're the sort of person who thinks that, you know, I'm going to run this person like I would every other part of my business, it doesn't work. Things happen. Yeah. Dog walkers, I think they spend more time in the van than the, oh. than the park. Yeah. That's inevitable. Yeah. Because for every hour they're in the park um they are picking up four dogs dropping off four dogs picking up four dogs dropping off four dogs yep. and you ask any dog walker they spend a lot of time in, on the road and that 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 is you're then at the mercy of sydney yeah <laughs> and the quality of driving in the eastern suburbs amazing right and buses oh god buses <laughs> and one of the realities of Taking a dog out, as in any circumstance, whether again, whether it be a professional or your individual, sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes a shit hits the fan and um, nobody wants to be in this situation, but we do see dog attacks on other dogs and worst case scenario, you know, and even people. But predominantly when you've got a big group of dogs together, one of the things that we see is conflict between dogs. Yeah, it's a big one. And it doesn't happen often. No. But unfortunately, it's pretty much going to happen to everybody at some stage. Mm. My little dog, Jet, she's been attacked twice now. Um, on lead, on on lead areas with dogs that were off lead. Um, the big one here is to treat it like a car accident. Anything you would do in a car accident, do in this scenario. Because it's the same. Your heart's going a million miles an hour. You know, your blood's rushing. You're, you know, you're angry, you're upset. You're all these things. You've got to slow down. Um, the person, whether it's your dog attacking them or it's a big grey area because you've got two off-lead dogs in an off-lead park, swap details. Yeah. Pretend you get their driver's licence, their information, their phone number, and just calm down. It's easy to say, oh, look, nothing happened, everything's okay. But you will get home that night and you'll see the dog licking. So what are you licking at? And you'll have a look and it's just like, oh, puncture wounds great and puncture wounds aren't like a normal kitchen knife cut they're jagged and they're messy and you know it's 350 bucks and a cone on your head for 10 days i've been in a situation before where the worst case scenario has happened and in the moment you know you make it all safe and then you check the check the dog for wounds but genuinely didn't see him just yeah. in when you're full of adrenaline mm. and you check it over and you go okay i think it's okay 
I think it's all right. And then you go and do everything right. And you get home and like you say, you then you see the wounds. Then you, when everything's calmed down, because at that point, the dog's full of adrenaline. The yep. dog's not going to be showing its wounds. It's going to be on guard and like defending itself. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be tending its wounds while it's still adrenaline fueled. So like you say, take, take responsibility. Yep. Nobody wanted to be in that situation. Nobody wants... Nobody wanted that to happen. And if your dog is aggressive and if your dog is one that is prone to being attacked, stop putting it in a fucking social environment. Yep. Like those dogs are off leash. They are allowed to be off leash. And we said earlier about effective control, but the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people that don't have brilliant recall over their dogs. Yep. If you take your dog into a dog park, you can expect other dog parks, other dogs to approach it. Hmm. And... I'm sorry, Mr. Cannon, if there's one thing you take away from this podcast today, it's effective control. Yeah. When you see people in the dog park with dogs on lead and you've got a new puppy that needs to socialize, put it on a lead. Well, go back and listen to our socializing episode. Episode you... 10, guys. <laughs> <laughs> listen to it a few times. I had the situation. I was with another dog walker, Danny, and she had four dogs and I had two. And we were walking through the park on lead. Just nice, calm walking. And this lady had this dog on lead and coming over towards us. And her dog was like, like this, trying to come over. And we both just went, no, like, stop, stop. Please stop. This is not a good idea. And she's like, oh, he needs to socialize. I was like, we have six dogs here. And you've got this dog that's trying to run over to us. Not appropriate at the time. And we just turned away. And she's like, oh. Yeah. I always like that sort of thing. You know, your dog may want to come and greet. But um, at the appropriate time, though. yeah, and an appropriate frame of mind. Yeah, I always think yeah. of it like if, I, if I'm walking through the dog park, and I, I use the same analogy on the streets. If I'm walking towards another individual, dog, person, cat, if it is looking bloody crazy, I don't want to interact. Why did do you think I want my dog to interact with that lunatic? But then she got mad at us. Yeah, which is kind of, we were like, we're actually helping the situation. Your dog's not in the right um, frame of mind to be coming over and saying hello to us and we have calm dogs with us that's the lack of education on yeah. socializing is yeah and just to reiterate i had a little micro machine crew a little zaza the moodle and i had my little crew with me and luckily they all know when i crouch down low and call them in they all run into me yeah i made it really clear with all my dogs that if you aren't feeling safe run to me mm. and i will make you safe i'll put you on lead i'll sort it out because obviously if you don't then they will just run up on the road or run wherever they have to get to to get away because you, yeah. you didn't fix the problem. And this lady had an Alsatian puppy and it was guns blazing and it was chasing little Zaza and I just called her in and Zaza came in and the Alsatian came in and I grabbed the dog, you know, by the collar and I walked it back over and said, could you put it on the lead please? Because he's only playing. I'm like, oh, I love that line. Um, and then she said, well, how's he going to learn? And I'm like... Don't take your dog up to fail to be shouted yeah, at by other dogs. And I, I looked at her and I said, I stopped playing rugby in New Zealand when I was about 10 because when I was 10, I was Zaza's size. And every other 10-year-old who's playing rugby in New Zealand was the size of your Alsatian. You know, Zaza doesn't want to play rugby with your dog. You know, it's the size difference, you know. It's like she couldn't understand that Zara wasn't enjoying it. Mm. And it's just like, Really? So please, effective control, read the dogs. We've said it before and we'll say it again in this one because it's so appropriate. Setting the dog up to be told off by other dogs is not letting them learn in a good way. 
it's every time it gets told off by another dog, it gets nervousness, like like a nervous association. Oh shit! I pushed that too far. You never actually learn what it was meant to do. By taking the dog in calmly, you take it into taking the dog in in a frame of mind that it can read the other's uh, body language signals. So earlier, we'll give you some different context, but same thing what we're trying to achieve we talked about the socializing group of the dogs that used to be aggressive and now they're at a point where they can communicate uh, calmly with other dogs what they're doing is making eye contact gestures mouth gestures lip licking uh, their body position everything is communicating to the others around it if the dog is chasing and hyper it's not in a frame of mind for learning so when that lady says how is he meant to learn slow it down eye contact, body language, actually set it up for a win, not failure. It's, um, that's how dog attacks happen. And this is where, you know, it, you, like I say, there is so many more proactive measures you can take uh, to prevent the worst case scenario. Um, now then, guys, we are... Well over time. Well, <laughs> let's not say over time, but we need to start considering... Talking about this book of yours, mate. Yes. It's been a long-term project of yours. Took about five years. Just five. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who thinks about writing a book, there's a lot more to it than you might think. Mm. Now, originally I wanted the book to assist Jet in her duties because my dog Jet, we go around the hospitals and we do uh, special needs schools. And I, as much as a therapy dog role is good, I felt a little bit bad when you take the dog away at the end. So arriving with the book, the children's book, being able to give all the kids books, read the story, it gave Jet the space where all the kids weren't trying to get to Jet, they're reading the book. And then they can come and meet Jet at the end of it. And then when we leave, we leave them with the books. Mm. Basically, for every book I sell, it creates three or four that I can give away. When I give them away, I give them to special needs, hospitals, a kid on the side of the road is having a bad day and just came up and said hi to the dogs. <laughs> It's, it's cute. I get a, a real kick out of it as well. Yeah. You know, I, I really enjoy it. But the book, Friends for All Seasons, for the younger kids, it's science because we deal with the four seasons. It starts in spring, goes through summer, autumn, but it also has how the two different breeds of dogs relate to each other because you've got the poodles who love the sunshine, love the hot days, love running around, which obviously the Frenchies struggle with. And then when winter comes around, you've got the, the Frenchies who love the puddles, the mud and the rain and the cold, and the oodles do not love it as much. So the real story behind the book is acceptance, diversity and equality. And uh, that all comes into play at the end, told through the story of the dogs. But what we're going to do is January? Yes. January, we're going to be giving some of these books away. So uh, keep it on social media. So help me dog, Bondi Behaviorist, the Little Paws Pack. The Healthy Dog Pod. And of course, the Healthy Dog Pod. And uh, we're looking to get some of these books out to you. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll be do you, running. Do you have one on you right now? Yeah, I do. Show it to the camera. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll be running a social media competition. Keep your eyes out. and Keep your eyes out? <laughs> Give your eyes peeled? That's the one. Little pause pack. Friends <laughs> for all seasons. Oh, look at that. Fantastic. So good. Love it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it really is a great little book and it's covers it does it just brings it into all oh, those topics was, the response so has been amazing yeah fantastic. everyone who's picked it up has absolutely loved it so yeah really happy that's oh, fantastic awesome. mate i really want to say thank you um for yes, coming thank in thank you um 
It's been a pleasure working alongside you for so many years now. It's been a long time, huh? Seven <laughs> years? Yeah, about that. Wow. Um, and, you know, you over the years as well, you know, you've, you're such a close p- part of our Bondi Behaviors family. You've taken Sophie on board as well over the years, hasn't he? Give it a nod. <laughs> he has. He's been very good. Um, no, it's, it's a real, real pleasure, mate. And, uh, you know, we really... Really respect your opinion on everything we talked about today. That's thanks, why. Thanks for having me on, guys. I mean, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to get off my chest. Yeah. But at the same time, a few things need to be brought to light and to benefit everyone. We've got to move forward with this game. Mm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, man. Pleasure. And remember, folks, a healthy dog's a happy dog. Woo. And that was the podcast.